Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Andy Peters with Keller Williams in Peachtree Corners, Georgia. Last year, he, his wife Leslie, and team closed 185 transactions with a total sales volume of $65 million and earned $1.8 million in GCI. His average sales price was $353,000, of which 60% were buyers and 40% were sellers. Andy has a 16-member team, one director of sales, one lead listing agent, one lead buyer agent, five buyer agents, one inside sales agent, one director of operations, one director of marketing, one transaction coordinator, one listing manager, one service support specialist, one runner, and one director of expansion. Andy Peters is the team leader of the Peters Company. He's been an agent for nine years. This year, he's on track to sell 250 homes worth $85 million. He works Metro Atlanta and Northeast Georgia. In this call, Andy talks about joining forces with his wife to form a power sales duo, splitting roles in the sales and operations and maintaining an even ratio as the team grew, maxing out at 60 sales per year as a single field agent, growing the team by hiring people who are looking for an opportunity, not a paycheck. The goal of 100 applications per position field and only hiring the top 1%. 85% of his business is repeating referrals from past clients and sphere of influence. Massive success with the 33-touch referral program, including a full description of what to do and when to do it. How to send items of value in lumpy mail that establishes you as the creative agent who can find marketing solutions. Identifying the people in your database who are the income determiners and developing a special relationship with them. Hosting four parties and events per year to connect with your past clients and sphere of influence, including Pumpkin Patch, Easter Egg Hunt, and Derby Day. How to get people who only want to work with the team leader to work with your team members and be happy about it. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Andy. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Hey, Andy. It's great to have you here. Andy, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Wow, that felt like 100 years ago. Um, so before real estate, I went straight out of college and went to work with my father, who had a family drinking water company. And he really did not want me to come to work with him. He wanted me to go to Xerox and learn sales. He was a salesman. That's where he learned. And he was very worried about how he could train me, you know, what his ability was to train me, even though he was one of the best sales trainers in that industry for years. He was not very confident about that. And looking back on it, I'm so thankful that I did what I did because I did get to learn directly from him and um, essentially worked my way up from a sales agent calling on business to business you know, selling drinking water machines, uh, like a vending service to businesses, and then became a sales manager. And um, eventually in 2006, we, we sold that business or we, we merged that business with four other companies across the country. And we, uh, we had some venture capital funds and it was a really fun time. Uh, obviously, the, the economy was jamming in 2006. And I stayed on with the uh, with the company for two years and managed Georgia and Florida. So I traveled quite a bit. I would come home on Thursdays or Friday evenings and 
my wife, who was already in real estate, was having quite the success in it. And uh, she would hand me the boy at that time, was one and a half, two years old, would hand him to me. And he'd be out in the door showing houses and making deals happen. And, and I was at home for the rest of the weekend, essentially, uh, as, as Mr. Mom. And as time went by, she became really worn down and needed help. And we began to have conversations about what would it look like if she were to join a team or if she would hire an assistant. And after doing the same thing for eight years, you know, I was kind of interested in doing something different. And with my dad being out of the picture, I didn't have that tie to that business as much anymore. So really 2008, she and I decided for me to get into business and I was her first hire. How did you start the team as far as what were the roles that you each played? Well, that was kind of a dance that we did. Initially, what we found was that there was quite the magic in two people selling. So we would go on listing appointments together. And it was funny because a lot of times I would connect with the wife and she'd connect with the husband and we'd get the deal done or vice versa. But there was different personalities at play and it worked. So as a team, we both sold and it became quite addictive. As our son became older, though, we saw that it was very difficult on our home life to have you know, two people's phone ringing all the time. So we made a decision. We decided to split up the business and we said, all right, there's a sales division and there's an operations division. And at that point, she was rather burned out, like I said before. And so she said, you know what? I don't want clients anymore. I just want to handle the back end. I, you know, I want to work more of a schedule, nine to five. I don't want the weekends. I don't want the night. And for me, you know, being in sales, I like the transactions. I like the fast pace. I was like, well, sign me up. Like, I'll, I'll gladly do that. <laughs> so that's what we did. And she was an amazing uh, operation. You know, at that point, I guess technically she was an executive assistant, but she operated like a director of operations and she's done every position on the operations side of the ball. And that was really, really helpful for us as we started growing our team because she had done everything. And if you ask me how to do the operations, I, I would point you right back to her. You said it came together really well. That first year that you got in the real estate and you teamed up, how did the business go? Did it take off? Well, we ended up, uh, we were making steady gains. We were increasing by at least 10% year over year. And, and keep in mind, in 2008, you know, the mortgage meltdown occurred. And there's a lot of panic in the real estate market. And for me and for us, you know, we woke up every morning and we got to work and did not really make any excuses in terms of the market. It was all about activity. So we were just hell-bent, really, on making this work because I had given up $150,000 sales job in my previous life. And so we had no choice. We had to make it work. So we started getting involved with short sales and understanding what was happening in the market, how we could react and weather the storm. But what really got us through was first-time homebuyers because you know, regardless of the market, you always have people that have to buy their first home. And because of our age, we were at a point to where, you know, we were late 20s, early 30s. We had a lot of people that were buying that first house, or perhaps they had the condo that, you know, they got married and now they're having their first child. So we've benefited quite a bit from that. Just, you know, I think generationally, uh, we didn't feel that hit on the top end because we didn't have those clients to begin with. We had to work you know, hard and work to get our average price point up over the years because initially it was all about first time and second time home buyers. Today, does your wife work with you in the business and the team? She does. Uh, in fact, she works on the team more than I do. Um, she is director of operations. So she has a team of outstanding, you know, operations people that report to her, transaction coordinator, the listing coordinator, the director of marketing. She has an ISA uh, that's growing an ISA team, inside sales agent. You know, we've got 
a flex person on the service support side that kind of fills in the gaps depending on what the the client load looks like or the workload looks like. So she's got a very full job. She manages actually more people than I do. You said that for a while there, she was getting a little burned out, but by moving to the inside of the operation, it sounds like that's balanced things out and that things are much better for her as well as for you working on the outside. You know, for me, I started out doing buyers and sellers. That works really well. I enjoyed it. And then eventually got to the point to where it was just too much for me to do both sides of it. I think at the 60 units doing both buyers and sellers, that decision to hire our first buyer's agent that has been a fantastic hire. She's actually moved through our organization now, become lead buyer's agent. Now she's moved on to the lead listing agent. And she has a growth plan in place to help her get even higher in our organization. And that's really kind of been our secret sauce through the years is that we've always taken our time when we hired people. But when we hire folks, we don't really hire them for the job that hire them for. We, we hire leaders and then we teach them how to do whatever it is that we need done. And as a result of that, they don't have ceilings in our organization and they join mainly for opportunities versus paychecks. If we've done anything right, that's probably the one thing we've done right. Let's do this. Let's give everybody a big picture of where you are. Let's move forward to today. Last year, how many homes did you sell? What was the sales volume on that? So last year we sold 185 homes. It was over 60 million in sales volume. We had last year we had nine people on the team, and we were pretty evenly split sales and admin or sales and operations. We've always tried to keep that balance because what we know is that a terrible salesperson or an awesome operations person makes for an awesome experience. A terrible operations person and a great salesperson makes for a very average or terrible experience. So we have always tried to be more balanced towards customer service than we have on sales. And that also helps us grow faster. It allows us to kind of lean into the business. And when we hire additional salespeople, that ramp that gets them going, you know, it allows us to be able to service that well. On the 185 homes you sold last year, do you recall the GCI? GCI was 1.85 million, 1.86 million, something like that. (laughs) That's fantastic. You're continuing some growth on the team here. What's your objective for this year with the team? So we got into a massive growth plan at the end of last year because, quite frankly, in 2015, we were, we were the number one sales team for Keller Williams in the state of Georgia. And in 2016, although we had a better year, we ended up, I believe we ended up as third, which did not feel so well. <laughs> and the reason why we got beat was a lack of sales associates. We just did not have the manpower to run the race. So we were nine people then, and now we're 15. And, you know, again, we're kind of continuing to balance operations and sales. And it's almost one operations, one salesperson, one operations, one salesperson. This year, our goal is $80 million in volume. We'll hit roughly 250 units. Well, that is fantastic. I'd like to ask a follow-up question, something you said earlier. You said that probably one of the things that has helped you with your long-term success is hiring the right people and that people are joining you for opportunities rather than a paycheck. How are you finding the right people? So this has changed through the years. I mean, initially, you had to you know create some sort of uh, opportunity map for people. And that opportunity map generally looked like an organizational chart. So you could field a pathway for somebody and you know they could physically see exactly how they moved through the organization. And we would project a big vision and we would sell that vision to people. And our goal, no matter what position we're hiring for, is to have 100 applicants. And the reason why it's 100 is we feel like we're in the top 1% in the industry. And so 
in order to keep that standard high, we have to hire the top 1% of the available candidates. And so we've made mistakes in the past where we somebody fogs a mirror and they have a nice interview and it's like, yeah, they're the one. And at this point, we have to really, really stay out of judgment during the process and follow that process. The, we use the career visioning process for Keller Williams that has worked like a charm. But I'll tell you today, our strategy, while it still includes that 100 candidates, we also create more of a wish list in terms of the talent that we want to be in business with. So we do this occasionally on our team, probably once a quarter. We're, as a team, we'll brainstorm, all right, who are the associates that we've done business with that just did an outstanding job? Who are the people that you are rushing to do another deal with them? You know, who are the people that had a sense of urgency, would return phone calls, would do what they said they would do? The folks that gave you the warm and fuzzies, right? And so now as a team, we list manage that group of people. And as a group, you know, all 15 of us try and get into relationship with those people, you know, and learn more about them and lead generate for talent. So now it's become less of a shotgun approach and probably more of a rifle approach to getting people on the team, which I prefer, quite honestly. I mean, we still cast a big wide net and pull in a lot of candidates. And, and out of those, we do uncover some really talented people. But it's the folks that in our everyday travels that we run into that say, God, there's something special about that person. That person's got a massive database and is incredibly connected to their community. It's funny to say, but you take Facebook, for instance, you know, you find somebody that has 3,000 friends on Facebook, they're going to be more influential than somebody that has 100. And so when we see people like that, and they may or may not even be in the industry already, but there's something magnetic about them. There's something that people gravitate towards them, and we put them on the list. We kind of get into a relationship with them and talk the what if and see if there might be a fit. Let's do this, Andy. Let's step back and give people a big picture. First of all, can you tell us where you are? Where is Peachtree Corners, Georgia? Well, um, Peachtree Corners is a northern suburb of Atlanta. It is just outside of the perimeter. And we own three market centers within Keller Williams. So I'm the broker for the Peachtree Corner Market Center, which is what we call offices, Keller Williams Lingo. We also have the Roswell Market Center, which Roswell, Georgia is a historic suburb, very well known, played a significant role in the Civil War, so it has a lot of history. And then Alpharetta, again, a northern suburb, the technology capital of the southeast, and is also well known for equestrian farms. It's the lush green area, very new, built up area, desirable suburb. So that's kind of our sweet spot. Our production team grew up, for lack of a better term, inside the perimeter in an area called Brookhaven. And Brookhaven is, I guess back in the day, was originally a suburb of Atlanta, just outside of the city of Atlanta lines, still inside the perimeter. And our team is very diverse in terms of where we cover. So, and when things are going really well, you find that neighborhood agents really excel. People want a certain area, and and as a result of that, these agents thrive. So, we made a conscious decision, and some of this was forced upon us in 2008 as the market was collapsing, that we really didn't want to be known as the neighborhood agent. We wanted to be known as a real estate expert and somebody that was a trusted resource that, you know, if you said, hey, I'm interested in Peachtree Corners, well, people that are interested in Peachtree Corners generally will look in Roswell. And we would connect the dots for people, and that made us, I think, a lot more balanced and a lot more useful in the marketplace. And as a result of doing that and kind of expanding our horizons, it really opened the kimono in terms of opportunity for us in Metro Atlanta. So our business, although Peachtree Corners is where our hub is, so our core Peters company business and one of our market centers, our business is done all over the city. 
And we're actually launching an initiative next year that we're going to be expanding our team across the whole state of Georgia, which is really exciting. You said you're working now the entire metro area of Georgia. That's a pretty big area. What's the population there? Well, there's over 6 million people in, in Atlanta. I've, I've seen it as high as 7 million. We have a very sprawling market in Atlanta, as, as everybody knows, and traffic has always been an issue because of it. So the land grab is going on around the suburban market right now, and we've got a tremendous infill uh, market going on inside the perimeter. So tear down, rebuild. Let's do this. Let's talk about lead generation. That's a hot topic for people. And my understanding is that about 85% of your business is coming from repeat and referral. So I'd like to talk some more about that and how you're making it happen. First question I have for you is how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Database is over 2,000 people now. We market to them in a, I'd like to call it a consistent and creative basis. When we first started out, we were hitting those people about 12 times a year. And it wasn't that we didn't want to do more, but we couldn't afford to do more. So what we knew we had to do is we had to make those 12 touches very unique. And we needed to separate ourselves in some way from all the other realtors that they knew. So. Early on, we conditioned people to open our mail by adding an item of value once a month. And we did, we did it the old-fashioned way. We did it snail mail. I mean, that was, again, 2006 to 2008. Even when I wasn't in the business, I was still helping Leslie, my wife, brainstorm in terms of, all right, what goes in an envelope? What's something that we don't need more postage that we can get in an envelope? And so that led us down the path of you know, lottery tickets and and again, at this point, you had 150 people in a database, so mailers really weren't as expensive as they potentially could be now, or Kool-Aid packets, or thick of gum. There was all kinds of things that we would brainstorm on our road trips of what would fit in an envelope. And what happened there, and we didn't realize this was happening, but we were essentially telling people that we were a very creative agent and that we could market their property in a new and different way than I like to call the gray-haired old lady real estate agents would do, right? We were trying to push the envelope in terms of uh, making people remember us. And as business grew, we doubled it from 12 to 24 touches. And eventually, after following the millionaire real estate agent model, we got it over 33 touches. And 33 touches is the classic example of Gary Keller, which is Overkill over time. There is really no significance to the 33 number. The reality is if you get to that number, you're probably going to blow away past it. But the magic in it is that it is overkill over time. And once you're in the face of all of the people in your database and doing it in different ways from snail mail to email marketing to to charity events, I mean, all these different approaches we became almost ubiquitous to our database and we became the irresistible choice for real estate because when you thought of real estate, you thought of us. So, you know, once we get people, once we get them into our clutches um, in terms of being a client, we love on them. You know, we spend a significant amount of our time and resource on creating more or less a membership for them. You know, being a part of this family of Peter's company clients, it has its benefit. We do special events for them. Leslie and I will buy tickets to concerts or athletics event throughout Atlanta, and we will we'll call these people. You know, we'll call through past clients and let people know that we've got an opportunity for them. And then the other thing that I think we do exceptionally well is we identify who are the people that give us referral business, right? Who are the people that support our business at a high level? And are we getting into higher levels of relationship with them? Everybody markets to people, but are we serving them? Do we know the names of their kids? Do we know when their birthdays are? Do we know when their pets pass away? When they have a new child born, are we doing things specifically for them? Are we a part of their life? And 
as the database gets bigger, it requires more and more effort and attention on that. And so that's why we hired our director of marketing and pretty much her job is to ensure that, that we stay in contact with our current clients or not past clients, but forever clients. And we're doing what we need to do to, um, to love them. Well, there's a lot there. I'd like to dig in a little deeper and thank you so much for, for opening up here. Well, first question, you've got these 2,000 people in the database. Are those all past clients or is that a combination of past clients and sphere of influence? And if it is a combination, what's the breakout? So we've sold over 1,000 homes historically. So you figure over 1,000 of those are past clients and the other 1,000 plus are sphere people that if we pass them, you know, in the grocery store, we'd know their name, they'd know our name. And that's really the barometer that we use is that we have so many acquaintances, right? That, you know, we know you from somewhere and our job is to try and change that into a relationship so that we know more about them and that we track, like I said, we track the names of their children, you know, how was Susie? How, how was Bob? And, And doing it from, uh, it is a strategic strategy, you know, but it is also about caring and, like I said, getting into service of other people. So that's, that's probably the breakout. It's probably half and half of the database of past clients in Sphere. You mentioned you've also identified uh, high referral sources, people who refer business to you. So do you have a breakout of a separate group, a top 50, a top 100, or, or some type of group that you've identified that send the majority of the referrals? We do. We call those people income determiners, and we have tags for everyone in our database. But if you send us a a minimum of two referrals, we consider you an income determiner. We also approach people in our day-to-day lives that know a lot of people. So from our networking efforts, if they could become an income determiner, they're list managed. So how do we get into relationship with those people? And you think of attorneys, doctors, pastors, uh, estate planners, any kind of a professional person that is interacting with a lot of folks. If we can't be number one, we want to be number two that they would refer to in terms of real estate. And that's our goal. We have to list manage that and keep track of it on an annual basis. The income determiners, do you recall how many people are in your database that are in that classification? Yeah, there's over 200 of those now. Okay. And do you market differently to them than you do to the 2,000? We typically will add an additional cut or two throughout the year for them. A good example of this is they would get invited to a holiday party that we have at the end of the year. All our past clients we would invite, and we would also invite the income determiners. They might be the group that if we have some special item of value, a good example of this was at the Super Bowl last year, we sent them koozies, Peter's Company koozies. You know, we sent those 200 people, enjoy the game, something kind of cute and memorable that we wouldn't necessarily send out to the entire database. So, yeah, I mean, I think the reality is, and we teach classes on marketing really across the Southeast, but one of the things that we always tell people is, yes, everybody has value, but in your database, not everybody is equal. There are people that help you more than other people. And while we need to try and get the people who aren't giving you any business or any referrals, we certainly want to try and get them into that bucket. It's a lot easier to get people who are already giving you business to give you a lot more business, right, than it is to get the person to give you one. We recognize that very early, and so that's back to that idea of you know, creating some sort of a membership economy amongst your database that help you. You know, these are the folks that, like Costco, you know, I wouldn't dream of going anywhere else to buy my toilet paper. My paper products, like, I just wouldn't go anywhere else. So what are we doing to create that type of brand loyalty amongst our real estate team? So that, that's the fun part, I think, of marketing is, having fun with the people who support your business the most. Could you describe your annual marketing plan out to your group? You mentioned you're doing a lot of different things. Could you give us some more specifics about how frequently you're sending out mail, how frequently you're sending out email? 
what's going out in those messages so that people could see a big picture of your annual marketing plan? Yeah, super easy. So we typically will send out one item of value, something fun every quarter. This might be the gum, the Kool-Aid, all that kind of stuff that really is out of the box thinking. And then we'll also send out an invitation to an event once a quarter. And then we generally have at least four, if not five events throughout the year. And as a result of these events, we have a paper invitation that goes out and there's uh, an email invitation that goes out and there's a phone call. We personally invite people in our database to our event. And uh, a good event has two, 300 people. An off event probably has 50 to 100. And so we track what the reason we know that an event is successful is when we do it the next year, are there more people that come? Do the same people keep coming back? Do they tell their friends? Did we do a good job of delivering on what we wanted to do, the vision of that event? And then we also have a follow-up after an event. So we have a professional photographer that is at every one of these events. And, you know, we follow up with an email or in some cases we'll actually print the photos and mail them the photos. In today's day and age, most people like the electronic copy of it. And just a simple thank you, like, thanks for coming to our event. And the response generally is, oh my God, I can't believe you're thanking me for coming to your event. Like you guys put on an amazing time for us. We should be thanking you. And then the final piece of it, which I think is most people do is a monthly email newsletter. And the magic of the email newsletter is we want to tell the stories of our clients. We don't get into you know what their last name is and all that, but their first names we'll keep in there. And so we, our buyer's agents, our listing agents, when they've completed a transaction, they'll take a picture of the client and they will write a three-sentence blurb about them. What was unique about this transaction? And the value of that is that everybody can relate to one of those stories. So as you're reading, you know, Bob and Susie sold their uh, rambling ranch in the suburbs. Their kids moved out, they're empty nesters, and they moved into a hip fund condominium in town. And all these little stories trigger other people's thoughts, hopes, dreams, And it creates ideas like, oh, well, you know, Andy and Leslie just did this. Let's do that. You know, let's tell my parents about this. So we like telling those little stories because it allows us to really connect on a human level with people. We also use a lot of blogs. So on our team of 15, every month, all the members on our team write a blog. We vote on it. Everybody reads everyone's blogs and we vote on it as a team. And the winner who gets the most votes, they gets like a $50 gift card to somewhere. And every month it's a little different. And what it does is it just incentivizes us to continue to create good content. And people don't mail it in. They tend to spend a little bit more time on that one-page blog. And so we kind of scatter those in throughout our blogs on the website, but we also incorporate that really well into our email newsletter. And As a result, you start getting these voices inside of our team that get following. People identified with individual people on our team and love their writing style. And it's almost like a Dear Abby column. And that's really fun to watch too, because it gives our people an outlet to communicate what's important to them, what they're seeing out there in the market. And it gives our database um, really awesome perspective on finding the newest restaurant, like a restaurant review or the festivals that are coming to the area, or here's the dog-friendly part of Atlanta. Just all kinds of fun stuff that we get to highlight too that, quite frankly, I wouldn't even think to do. But having all these people that we can leverage really creates something special. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. 
Now, back to the show. That's fantastic, Andy. I just add that up, and if I did it correctly, it sounds like you have about 32 contacts a year from those three major ideas. Again, the one, the first one being four contacts a year with a snail mail piece of value. Uh, the next one being the four events you put on a year, and with those events, you have four contacts. Actually, the event itself would be the fifth, so now we're actually up over 36 contacts. And then you have this monthly email newsletter that's going out, and you've mentioned how you're getting content for it and why it's connecting so well. That's a nice, simple annual marketing plan that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for sharing that. You mentioned you're doing these parties and events. Could you tell us what kind of parties and events you're doing? Sure. So uh, we've done now for eight years, maybe I think this is the ninth year, we do a pumpkin patch, uh, which is more or less a fall festival where we have face painters. uh, We have a couple of jumpies. We learn to have one jumpy for the really, really little kids and one for the older kids. We'll have Chick-fil-A cater the event. Uh, We'll bring in popcorn, cotton candy, machines, all that. We have a costume contest for the children, give away something. And we just have a big, big time with that. That's a very successful event. Over 200 people generally at that event. A couple of other great ideas that we have incorporated. We did an Easter egg hunt this year, which this is a great example of sometimes you have an awesome idea and you just need to take a chance with it. Just do it. We decided about three weeks before the event that we were going to do it and ragtag threw it together. And we had over 300 people at this thing that really was just kind of a idea that came out of a team meeting where we said, you know, I saw somebody else that did a Easter egg hunt and it looked kind of fun. And we're like, yeah, that'd be fine. If we got a hundred people there, that'd be nice. And we'll just do a better job with it next year. Well, 300 people showed up first event. And everybody just went on and on and on and on. So we're like, okay, now we've got an annual event that we'll add to the database. The most fun event that we do is a derby, so the Kentucky Derby. And this is usually at a time of the year, right, where it changes from cold to warm. And so emotions are high and just a fun time of the year. And we have a contest around best hat, best dress. And we bring in a bartender that serves mint julep. And we always, when we have events, we will bring in some sort of a charity. So uh, if you've read um, Adam Grant's book, Give or Take, we know that there's two types of people in the world. There's givers and there's takers. And so what we realized many years ago was we're blessed to have all these people together and create critical mass at these events why wouldn't we tie some sort of a charitable event to it and just do some good in the world while we're doing it and really not make it about the Peters company, but redirect that attention to something that's good. So um, the pumpkin patch event that I mentioned, that's a coat drive. The Easter egg hunt, we didn't tie a charity to it this year because we literally threw it together. Next year, we're going to tie in a, a charity to that. The Kentucky Derby We tie in a a homelessness charity in Atlanta that protects really the tweeners, that protects those kids between 12 and 16 that age out of the foster care system. And at some part in the process, they actually have to go find somewhere else to live. And um, many of them end up on the streets. And so this is a charity that takes kids in and group homes and prevents adolescent homelessness. So we partnered with this charity for the second year in a row this year, and the format was pretty simple. We donated a long weekend from our Hilton Head condominium, Um, so we gave three nights, and the premise was $10 gets you a bet on a horse, and we had mason jars for all the horses, and so you would put your name on a sheet of paper, and you would drop it in the mason jar for each horse. And then about 20 minutes before the race, we had the um, executive director for the charity came and gave a five-minute speech about what this charity is, what they do, why it's important, and what the money that we raise goes to, which in this case, it was, it was about education and teaching kids life skills and how many kids with this money that we've already raised we could help. 
And it creates this frenzy for about 10 minutes right before the race starts where, you know, you almost double the money as a result of this increase in emotion created by, by the member of the charity. And then we, we have the race and the race is like a minute and a half. It's just, it breezes by a lot of emotion involved with that. And then we have a kind of a ceremony where we pick a name out of the Mason jar for the winning horse. And that person wins the, you know, the trip. Um, and we've done pools of money in the past and we've kind of did away with that even though um, what we found was that the people that won the pools of money actually donated it to the charity. So routinely we'll raise $2,000 plus for that event. And it's just a fun way to celebrate with our people. And, and as is the, normally the case, you have a lot of income determiners there. So it's important to have a good time with them. And I love the fact that they get to see where our heart is and you know what we're passionate about. And we generally will create volunteers for the organizations that we're donating things to because for one reason or another, they connect to the message of that charity. So yeah, at, at this point, strategic giving plan, if you can call it that. And I think that's actually the term that Adam Grant uses in that book. What are we doing not so it's look at me, but what are we doing really to create ways for people to connect? Andy, I don't want to forget to ask you about this, I understand that you also are generating quite a few referrals from other agents. I think it's about 13% of your business. How is that happening? Good question. So one of the things that we realized uh, a few years ago was that we were moving from, as John Maxwell says, the struggle, you know, you move from struggle to success to significance. And there was a calling on our heart to give people and give back in a way that either we didn't look for before or wasn't an opportunity for us before as the how you grow a real estate team. And so we started, we created some content, we created some classes that really just from a spirit of giving just said, let's open the books on what we do. And, you know, one is a class on team building. It's called Think Big. It really kind of takes you from Leslie as an individual agent to where we are today and how that's been a long and winding road and the pitfalls, mistakes, and a lot of failures that we've done along the way, as well as sharing some of the things that we feel like we did that either we didn't intend to do or we were very intentional about. And then we also have another class that we created about the 33 Touch or now 36 Touch marketing campaign. And we just, you know, we set a goal to teach 12 times in a year. And that first year, we taught 12 times before the end of June. So we're like, okay, well, let's double it. And so that became 24. And as, as a result of teaching all over the Southeast and just giving back to people without any promise of return, we really developed quite a bit of referral business you know, within the Southeast. And then Gary Keller called us. We're, we're in a mastermind group, um, the top agent mastermind group with Keller Williams. And so we've known Gary for quite a few years, and one of his assistants called us, who we know well, and said, hey, Gary wants to know what you're doing with this marketing class. And we're like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And so we started uh, telling her a little bit about it, and she went back to Gary, and Gary said, all right, I want to jump on a call with them tomorrow. And that was about three weeks before Mega Camp a couple of years ago. And we went through what we were doing, and... Literally two weeks later, we're up on stage in front of 15,000 people talking about it. And we saw very quickly that marketing is one of those things that obviously everybody can do, but very few will. And much like growing a team. And so it was something we believed in. It was the backbone of our business. So that gave it even more gas. And so we became, our reputation is we're kind of like the 33, 36 type team. And that has led us from, we got back from Maryland and D.C., and we did an event for that group of Keller Williams agents. We're heading to Fort Lauderdale in the fall. And it just has opened up a lot of doors for us. And as a result of that exposure, has only helped the business. This year, we'll double the amount of agent referrals that we received. I think we've done 27 so far this year versus 21 or so last year. So it's a 
it's a big part of what we do. And the great part about it, it is the reward for just giving back. When we teach a class and we don't charge anything, that, that's actually better than anything we could charge. Is just getting an agent referral. Makes a lot of sense. So teaching and speaking is driving those agent referrals. What I'd like to do now is switch gears and talk about your team. You've mentioned before that last year you had nine people. This year it's around 15, 16 people. Could you give us an outline, a big picture structure of the current team, what the people are on the team, and we're looking from the organizational chart, what the position is and what they're responsible for? Sure. So I serve as director of sales, and we'll kind of do the sales side first. Inside of my three, we have a director of expansion. So as I mentioned before, we're, we're actually creating a strategy now to expand throughout the state of Georgia. We're already in northeast Georgia in addition to the hub business, but she's got a very aggressive plan to go after the other areas, the other metropolitan areas inside of Georgia. We also have a lead buyer's agent, and the lead buyer's agent has currently a team of five that she manages, and all they do, obviously, is work with buyers. And we have a lead listing agent. A lead listing agent is currently hiring another listing agent at the moment. And then we've got, that's essentially, what's that, five, six, seven, eight, nine, that's nine, counting me. And then we move over to the operations side, which is Leslie's side. And Leslie is the director of operations. Underneath her is a transaction coordinator. Transaction coordinator generally manages a runner, so a person that gets whatever needs to be done. You know, if it's stuff mailers one day or the listing manager may pull them over and they go deliver sign. So whatever needs to be done, we generally have a runner that works for us for a couple hours every day. Then we have a listing manager. And so the listing manager pulls together the listing agreement, helps the listing agent prep for all of the listing appointments. We also have a director of marketing. So the director of marketing, their sole job is to execute on that 33-36 touch marketing plan and increase leads year over year. We set pretty aggressive goals for her to increase the lead sources, you know, the ways, whether it's inside of internet marketing, how do we how do we increase internet marketing leads? Or if it's from database or specifically a sphere, we tend to every year have some sort of a big goal for leads and then some micro goals that would be for specific categories. Inside sales, I can't forget about Ray. So Ray joined our team recently um, and is quite a leader. Ray is calling, dialing every single day through cold lead generation sources, be it the internet. He's also calling through past client sphere. You know, he, he would be somebody that would field any incoming call as well as make outgoing calls into neighborhoods for circle prospecting, letting people know that we're having an open house, uh, th- that sort of a prospecting call. So right now he's got a really big job and his vision is to create a inside sales agent team of three or four people. And he's getting his feet wet in terms of making the calls himself. He's already having tons of success and just 30 days on the job, which um, gives him a lot more confidence to go and grow that side of the, of the business. I'll say this. I would never want to grow an inside sales team. I recognize that that needs to be done. And I recognize the good that that creates for our team. I would not be the person to do that. What's awesome about growing a team is that that is someone else's opportunity, right? There is a financial reward for them to accomplish that goal. And the same thing applies on expansion, you know, growing throughout Georgia. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with where we are in Atlanta. You know, I, I don't feel like we have to do expansion, but what I feel like we have to do is continue to create opportunity for our amazing people or else they'll leave. So, my mindset is just continuing to expand, 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 not for my own self, but just to retain great folks. You mentioned that you're the director of sales. Are you still in production? Are you still listing homes and helping buyers? Lord, no, you would not want me to do that. Um, <laughs> I am. So my week right now looks, I'm very scheduled and 
I'm more structured than I've ever been in my life, thankfully. So Mondays for me, I have nine conference calls. So I work through leadership on my team. I have 411 calls with them. You know, we review what they did in the past week as well as what their goals are for the next week. Uh, I have Southeast Region Keller Williams calls and national calls. I'm a MAPS coach, so I coach agents across the country. So we have calls associated with that. And I also coach my team leaders. So the team leaders, the brokers within the individual offices. And so my involvement on our team is essentially those calls, those accountability calls on Monday. And then on Tuesday, we have a sales meeting that I generally will go to. And they're rah-rah, big picture type meetings. And then that's outside of a, I do an 8.30 buyer's agent alley call for like five, 10 minutes every single morning. We get on the phone and we talk through, all right, how'd you do yesterday? What's the goal today? What got in the way of you accomplishing your goal yesterday? How do we eliminate that obstacle moving forward? We have little teachable moments. We do that every day and we try and make that, the goal is to make that call as quick as it can possibly be so we can get onto our business and get started with our day. And then I do a script practice with them on Fridays for 30 minutes. And that's, again, I mean, we don't go 31 minutes. We go 30 minutes, that's it. Um, just so everybody can get on with their day. But outside of accountability, the team meeting, you know, five minutes every day and that 30 minute, you know, script call that we do on Friday, that's really my involvement. I mean, it's, you matched all that together. It's maybe a day a week. So if you don't have great people, you're going to be involved a lot more. I'll just say I'm lucky to have folks that are self-managed. Uh, you don't manage people, you manage things. Um, and so it's more of a coaching that goes on in my communication with these, with these leaders on the team. Well, Andy, I can only imagine that people listening have a big question. The majority of your business is coming from past clients, referrals, repeats. These people are probably calling in asking for you. And how is the team making the transition from working with you in, in the client's mind to working with the team? And you're not there helping that client, you personally. Great question. I think this is one of those myth misconceptions that everybody believes that they're calling for you. And they may call you and tell you that, but what they're really wanting is they're wanting the the systems and the standards, the results that you produce, right? It doesn't matter if it's you that does that. This is the beauty of a team is that it really is time on task over time. And as a result of that, you get people better faster because they're doing a specialized service. So a good example of this is on the buyer team. You don't want me to help you buy a house, mainly because I'm a real high S and um, I'm an ISC. That's my disc profile. And so, you know, I, I always, I have a hard time making decisions. You know, so I am, I'm always thinking there's going to be something better. There's going to be something better. There's going to be something better. By the way, that's not a good profile uh, or a good thing to accentuate for a buyer's agent, right? Helping people make decisions is the value of a buyer's agent and helping people objectively think in terms of what they want and is this it or is it not? So when people call me, I'm very quick to let people know that I appreciate the fact that, you know, out of 10,000 agents, in Atlanta that you would trust me as the only person to get your transaction complete. And I think trust is the right word because I'd like for you to trust me again. I'd like for you to trust me that the person that is going to be handling your transaction is not only going to be doing it the way I did it, but they're going to do now the things that I wasn't willing to do. So you actually get a super me to do this. And I don't get clients back. And again, that's back to the quality of your people and being very selective and picky in terms of who you ask to join your organization. I had a listing appointment last year and I'd worked with this family, great friends of ours, became friends through business, but became friends. And he said, listen, I know that you've got a big team and we want you to do it. We're not interested in having anybody else. And you tell me it's somebody else, no big deal. 
we'll go use somebody else. I just wanted to be up front with you. And I said, you know, I appreciate that. I'll tell you what, let's do. Jenny and I are going to come meet with you and uh, I'll be there. I'm happy to be there. But Jenny's the person that handles the listing side. So Jenny's really going to be running with it. We're going to finish with that transaction. We're not going to ask you for your business at that appointment, but I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you the next morning after this evening appointment. And if you tell me that you don't think Jenny is the right person for the job, then I'm totally cool. Go use somebody else. And this was a $750,000 house. And so I think he was a little shocked that that was my stance on it. But to be honest, there's no way I could do it. So it didn't matter anyway. But I wanted us to at least get the shot. So what do you have to lose? So we went on the listing appointment. Jenny nails it. Jenny actually had the house sold before we ever listed it. He got more than what he wanted for the house. And so we laugh about it today. I'm like, you're going to trust me from now on. You know, you're going to make sure that you listen to what I'm telling you. I don't know that I could have delivered that sort of a result. For many reasons, I'm out of it. You know, I don't have the relationships that Jenny has to make those connections off market. I don't have as good of a connection in terms of values, home valuations as Jenny does. She goes on five listing appointments a week. So I think it's being a little bit bold with it. I think it's being okay if people don't use you. And I would say you're going to be a lot more bold when you have a lot more business. If you're hanging on one deal, it's going to be hard for you to get comfortable potentially losing something. And I think once we've gained that confidence of our people are better than us, it just compounds. And so on our team, we've always said, we're a family. We're going to give everybody a fine reputation to live up to, which is the Dale Carnegie principle. Always love that. There's no doubt in my mind that Leslie handles operations better than I can. There's no doubt in my mind that Jenny handles the listing team better than I can. And there's no doubt in my mind that Dory handles the buyer team and clients better than I can. And so when you're passionate about that, it just comes through. And I think if you show that passion and confidence, then people are good with it. Uh, That makes sense. Andy, a lot of agents listen to us. They're thinking about building a team. They've already started building their team. And one of the stumbling blocks they run into is uh, how to compensate buyer agents and listing agents. Would you mind disclosing how you're doing that? Sure. So... Buyer's agents on our team, we follow the millionaire real estate agent model. So that's a great place to go. Whenever we tried to figure things out on our own, we always ended up giving away more money than we needed to. And so we're at 40% for a buyer lead. And that's regardless of whether it's your lead, my lead, Joe's lead, whoever, it doesn't matter. A buyer deal is worth 40% to the person who works the deal. A listing lead is 25%. So again, no matter where the lead comes from, it's 25%. Our average price point is 360000 So, you know, you take an average check, it's $10,000. So you're roughly $4,000 on a buyer deal and $2,500 on a listing deal. Whenever you start layering on the management of those agents, so for instance, a lead buyer's agent would make a 5% override on what the other person sells. So on a typical deal with the buyer's agent, you know, it's 40% goes to the agent that works the deal, 5% goes to the lead buyer's agent, and then 55% goes to the team. Now with an ISA involved, we actually give an ISA 5% of a closed transaction if they initiated the, the lead. You know, if they set the appointment, they'll earn 5% of that deal. Bottom line is the hub never receives less than 50%. And so out of our 50% is how we pay for operations people. Me as the director of sales, I'm salaried. Leslie as director of operations is salaried. Of course, the rest of the operations staff is salaried. Well, Andy, are you profitable? <laughs> we are profitable. Well, last year, we, we ran on a 35, on the month, it was 35 to 40% profitability. Andy, what drives you? Well, currently... Really, my big goal is to create 30 millionaire real estate agents. So, and the reason why that's important to me is because I feel like we had success early on. And for some reason, I guess because of working hard, working a system, 
it happened for us. And once we hit that status, the world opened up to us. Opportunities just flew in our face. And so I want that for other agents in our market centers. And so everything that I do from the programming that we provide in the market centers and you know, level of support is designed to, you know, whether you want to be one agent with one assistant or you want to have a mega team, whatever it looks like, is really driven towards creating 30 MREA teams. Um, if we do that well, what we found is that the rest of it takes care of itself because now you've created a culture where success lives. Everybody wants to be around those individuals. We're growing the market centers at unimaginable levels and we're fulfilling what Gary has taught us through his books, which is the, again, backbone of what we do at Keller Williams. In the process of doing that, I expect that we create hundreds of half millionaires. We always want to have practical examples of what to do and how to grow our business. So that's what drives me on the market center side. On the team side, for me, it's about just continuing to create massive opportunity for the people on our team. And so we use our core business to develop leaders that then spur off you know, we have a goal to create a property management company. Um, we'd like to have a mortgage company, a construction company. You know, there's these peripheral businesses that are all surrounding real estate that I would like to be a part of, but I don't want to do. And it's that vision for, all right, what's next, what's next, what's next, that helps create a path for really talented people within the sales organization to continue growing. And part of the strategy of taking on market centers, Keller Williams offices was so that even beyond the production team or the peripheral businesses, now we've got leadership opportunities within these offices. And so that's really exciting as well, because we have people that aspire to do that. They're kind of brokers in training to get to that level. So it really is about getting lost in the success of other people. That sounds Pollyanna, but money is great right? But money is only good for the good it can do is what Gary teaches us. And so for us, good is creating opportunity for other people. Well, Andy, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? You got to get your database. You know, what we know is that if you have 150 people and you market to them consistently 33 times, that you should expect 12 closed transactions out of that. You know, at our price point, 12 transactions puts $120,000 in your pocket, which is a nice living. I managed 50 people and made $120,000 in corporate America. So that's what I would do. I mean, that's only 150 people that you know their name, they know your name. And I would get the word marketing out of your brain and think in terms of serving. So how do I get to know as much about these people so that I could get into the highest level of service of them. And that may be something as simple as just letting everybody know what their home is worth, you know, running a CMA, a quick CMA, and giving them an annual update on what's going on, kind of like they do with a doctor's office, you know, giving you what your vital statistics are. But I really think it's about the people you know. Where I see a lot of people go wrong is that they start spending money on internet leads, which, quite frankly, can be a really bad investment, especially if you don't have the time to really do them the right way and follow up with them accordingly. You'll end up wasting a lot of money. So I tend to focus on the database business because it's the best bang for your buck and more fun. Well, Andy, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? You know, I have never been a reader. I'm a to say, and it wasn't until recently that I understood the value of books. And I had to incorporate accountability amongst my production team to have a book club. And that's been one of the best things that I've ever done because it's raised my leadership lid. It's increased my vocabulary, of course. Um, it's just made me better all around business leader. So I would tell you to read more. Leaders are readers. I would tell you to get some form of accountability. Accountability is generally better in groups of three or more. 
groups of two typically lead to somebody letting themselves off the hook, letting the other one off the hook. So I like accountability group of at least three. I believe in coaching, believe that you can never know enough. So getting perspective from somebody else is important. And I think that has a lot of value. I think you should pay for it. Somebody gave me that advice. Think in terms of who are the most influential people in the business world or in the real estate world that you can get into your head and pay them. And that was some of the best advice I ever got. The mentors that I've had in the last three years are better than I've had in 15, 20 years of professional experience because I've gone after people, much like our strategy of going after talent for the team. So get a coach sooner rather than later. Those are probably my three biggest pieces of advice. Well, Andy, thank you for sharing your journey from joining your wife and forming a power sales duo to adding team members based on an opportunity to building a team balanced between sales and operations. You've succeeded at a high level by identifying and then working successful systems like the 33 Touch program that results in 85% of your business from repeat and referrals. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 242 homes last year with internet leads and repeat and referrals. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.